Let me start off by telling you that I'm talking about today money and politics. Next week, our elders will be talking to you about how today's sermon led to my firing. <laughs> well, it's true. I've been talking about money and politics just briefly on the pol political side. Um, it is not true that uh, this sermon will lead to my firing. Our leadership, my elders, um, are uh, the, the, the best leaders I've ever come to know. They've given me the availability to speak to current events of our day in a very powerful and practical way using God's word, and I thank them for that. And they have never restrained me on speaking about the topics of, of giving money as an offering because they know that that completes the wholeness of our faith, that it involves trust. And they know, just as well as I know, and as many of you know, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be found. Have you ever heard of the principle called... Uh, you reap what you sow. We've heard it so many times. It has nothing really to do with how the universe gets back at you for something or how you can be slapped in the face for doing something wrong by the universe or how the universe will reward you if you do something right. That's not what the principle of reaping and sowing is about. It's just about repercussions, cause and effect. It's so biblical. So let's, let's let the Bible define it for us so we get better understanding of it. Job chapter 4 verse 8 says, people plant trouble harvest trouble. I know some of those people. Proverbs 22 verse 8, whoever sows sin reaps weeds. Let's put it in the New Living Translation. Proverbs 22 8 those who plant seeds of injustice will harvest disaster. Hosea 10 verse 13, you planted wickedness and now you reaped evil. Matthew 7 verse 2 whatever measure you use to judge others will be used to measure how you are judged. Might frighten some of you. The law, or the principle rather, of sowing and reaping. That's the negative side of it. Let's, let's kind of define the positive attitude of, of reaping what you sow. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 8. The one who sows righteousness will reap a sure reward. Hosea 10, 12. Plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of my love. James chapter 3 verse 18. Peacemakers plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. This principle comes out of what is called the law of the harvest. There's other principles that are involved in it. One, the major one, is you reap what you sow. Parents, you reap what you sow when it comes to your children. Spouses, you reap what you sow when it comes to your husband or wife, you reap what you sow in your business. You sow anger, you're going to reap anger. You sow injustice, you're going to reap injustice. You sow patience, you reap patience. You sow generosity, you reap generosity. But I cannot sow irresponsibility and reap success. I cannot sow laziness and reap a reward. I cannot sow stinginess and reap a blessing. Galatians chapter Six, uh, second part of verse 7 in what's called the message. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. It says, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests the crop of weeds. And he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. One of the principles that comes out of the law of the harvest is not only you reap what you sow, but you what you sow today, you're probably not going to reap today. You're going to reap later in life. 
More than likely, you're going to reap some things in what we call eternal life or life after this body is gone. You're going to reap some things. And this principle, the principle of reaping sowing is found throughout all of our lives, especially when it is uh, concerning our finances, our money, and when it is concerning what we're about ready to attempt this Tuesday in our election of a national leader. In the book of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, God's people, the Israelites, they demand that, that they want a king given to them. Now, they never had demanded a king before because they always had God as their king. And they claimed God to be the king of kings. And so why would you need an imperfect ruler when you had a perfect leader like God? But for whatever reason, they want a king. And God tells them, you don't want a king. And there's this conversation that goes back and forth. And God says, you know, a king... He's going he's gonna to force your sons to go to war. A king is going to take your, your daughters and he's going to marry them. And they're just going to be a part of all the wives he's collected. A king is going to take the best part of your land. A king is going to tax you to the point where you're burdened by that taxation. God goes on to say that if you get a king, you'll never have peace in your life again. And so scripturally, he says to them, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Why? Because you reap what you said. You want a king? Here's a king. King is limited. So don't come to God for relief. Look to your king for that relief. That's who you wanted to be in charge. And so the people hear what God has to say. Do you know how to respond? They quickly say, we don't care. God. Isn't that how we act? Like God, I, I know what you're saying, but I know what I want. And I want a king. I know what you're saying, and I know what I want. And it just doesn't seem to match up with what you want. So would you give me what I want? I seem to know better in this moment. And God says, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And they are given and ordained king by the name of Saul. Saul is a great king to start out with. He does a lot of great things for that nation. But about midway through his, his reign, he turns evil and wicked. And you know what they say? God, get rid of this king. He's terrible. He's taken our sons to war. He's married our daughters. He's taken our land. He's overtaxed us. We have no peace. And God says, you need to go see the king about that. You wanted him. He's in charge. He got you into this. You see, he'll get you out of this. And, uh, and they made God to remove the king. And God says, it's not happening. You're going to live with them until he dies. I think about this election, and while I have someone who I have in my mind that I will more than likely vote for this Tuesday, it is so difficult for so many Christians because I don't think has there ever been a time in our lifetime where we have had candidates that are so noticeably flawed. A lot of prayer has gone into my selection. And I understand, friends, that there's no perfect candidate. I get but I don't think ever in my lifetime have I ever been able to look to my kids and said, see, these two just prove that anyone in the United States can become president of the United States. <laughs> I, think about, I think about our choice between these two major candidates, and you know what I think? I think we're reaping what we've sown as a nation. I don't know how to like exemplify that or really tell you more about that, but I've got this feeling. I've got this feeling. That we don't get what we want, we get what we deserve. And that scares me. 
What scares me, but also brings me comfort, what brings me concern and comfort, is what's found in the book of Romans, chapter 13. Here's what it says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. That scares me, because Wednesday morning I might wake up, and I may not like who the governing authority might be for the future. That scares me. For there is no authority except that which God has established. That brings me comfort. God's establishing the authority. Now let's read this last line together. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And I don't know where I sit on that one. If that gives me comfort or gives me concern. Because you reap what you sow. You don't get who you want. You more than likely get who you deserve. And as I look at the moral failures of our country, and I see more and more people turning to secularism rather than our Savior Jesus, I, I, I must remember that regardless of the outcome Tuesday evening, God is in control. Let's say it together. God is in control. I think we have a head knowledge of that, but we need to start getting our heart around that, that God is in control. Friends, let me tell you something very special about this group of people at Bethany and many like you around the world. Regardless of who's president or who's king or who is dictator, the church always comes out on top. Good leader, bad leader. The church always comes out on top. Because it is the church whom Christ has died for. Not kingdoms, not nations, not authorities, but for you and for me. And God will see that the church prevails regardless of who is in office. Because we reap what we sow. Well, Proverbs chapter 29 verse 2 says, When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. This last week I was sent a sermon by David Jeremiah, Dr. J.M. Dillon. What an amazing preacher. Here's what he had to say. I need to, I need to quote it for you. He says, It's important to recognize that we're not electing a spiritual leader in the United States. We're choosing a leader of the executive branch of government. We're not choosing a pastor for America. We're choosing a president. But if we are to meet the challenges we have as a nation, we need, to lead, we need a leader who at least fears God. So here is my prayer. God, who is the leader that fears you most? Or who is the leader that has the potential to fear you the most? Lord, Tuesday, we all have a choice. And we're not asking to do the same thing. That's not what we're asking around here. But we're asking that we put some, some thought into it, some prayer into it, and that it just doesn't become a party thing for us. But it becomes a prayer thing. You're in control. We'll trust you. As difficult as it might be for some in this room to do that, we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, today we do start a series on stewardship. And let me tell you what stewardship is. It is the practice of how we use the things that God has given to us wisely. You know that Jesus talks more about our finances than he does the topics of heaven and hell. Some of you are not aware of that. Actually, Jesus overemphasized the way we use our money in the scriptures. Someone had said that Jesus talks one out of seven verses about money. When I, you wouldn't know that from the way preachers preach. Sometimes they just steer away from it, and then they never, they never bring you a conclusion on how Jesus wants you to use what he's given you financially. You know, Jesus talks more about money than he does about love and forgiveness. Are you aware of it? He overemphasizes it because he knows it has the power to control us. Uh, this last week, I called my financial advisor, telling him that we were going to be speaking on the topic of generosity. You know, the financial advisor, he's the guy in my life that advises me that I have no money. That's the advisor. 
Here's what he had to say. I said, give me your best financial advice because Jesus gave us his best financial advice. You give me yours. He says, don't spend more money than you make. I thought, that's too easy, man. That, don't spend more. He said, yeah, but no one, no one makes it practical. Like, we all know that, right? We, we all know this, but yet very few of us make it practical. Jesus gives us some financial advice. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Let's look there together. That advice is full of how you can be successful with your dollars that he's pocketed into your account. And he says, look, I've got some ideas on how you can spend it, but I want you to spend it right. I want you to spend it right. And I think there's... Two types of thoughts here as you open to Matthew 6 that we have in our heads. Some of you in your head, you think, well, you know what? God, uh, Jesus, when he stepped foot on earth, he, he mostly lived impoverished. And he said, you know, uh, foxes have holes to live in, birds have nests, but the Savior doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a bed. See, he was impoverished. And he'd say, I think we need to live in some kind of moderate means. I'm not too sure about that. I, I You know, I, I don't know exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, pretty confident he doesn't want us living in poverty. I, I think you're pretty sure of that because I don't see you guys all living in poverty and selling your cars and your homes and everything and just depending on God every single day for where you're going to sleep tonight. There's also what most of us have, and that is prosperity theology, and that is if I put $5 in the alcoholic, God's going to give me 10 And that's not true either. There's, there's nothing like that found in Scripture that God's going to just overwhelmingly bless you because you happen to be giving some of your income back to Him, which was already Him to begin with. Now, there are blessings that come along with honoring God, honoring God, but not necessarily always in the form of financial blessings. And I think there is a proper theology, not poverty theology or, or pro, uh, prosperity theology, but there's a proper theology. It's somewhere there in the middle. I'm going to honor God with what He's done in my life, and, and whatever that comes about, whether I'm rich or poor or somewhere in between, I'm going to continue to honor God with that. Let's look how Jesus gives us financial advice in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, great guidance on how to set yourself up for future success financially. Verse 19, let's look there. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, let's read verse 21 together. It doesn't matter what version of the Bible you have. Let's just shout it out. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe you're someone that as you study the Bible, you highlight or you mark things. Mark that. That's the emphasis of what Jesus is talking about in this particular passage of Scripture. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. We don't always believe that. Some of us believe we're so confident in our passion that it can override where our treasure is parked. But that's not how it works. Your money is going to be your guide. And the things you've invested your time in and your finances in, that's the thing you're going to... I, I remember the first time, the first time I ever invested into a, a, a single stock, I became a stockholder. I had that stock ticker up on my desktop computer every day watching. And my emotions ran with the ups and downs of that stupid stock. Until it got so bad I had to sell it and lose money. That's how sometimes our treasure leads our heart. And I want you to know, Jesus is really talking about two things here. Number one, he's saying, beware that there's some bad investments in this life. That's his financial advice. Be aware there's some bad investments you can make in this life. There's bad investments. Business Insider Magazine uh, had an article recently about a family that bought an estimated worth of $100,000 of Beanie Babies back in 1993. They had this 
huge plan that they would buy all these Beanie Babies, 20,000 Beanie Babies, and that they would hold on to this because they saw nothing but an increase in their value. But what happened was the Beanie Baby bubble burst. And they weren't able to keep that money that they were depending on to get their kids through college. That was their college fund. Beanie Babies. Come on, we can laugh at that, but you know, I went down to my basement the other day. And I saw all these baseball cards that I had spent thousands of dollars on through the course of my childhood and high school years. And they're worth nothing. Nothing. Jesus is saying, be wise with your investments. Because there's some bad investments out there. And uh, I can just imagine these kids walking into their parents' home when they die. There's 20,000 beanie, beanie babies. And they're saying, what are we going to do with all these things? And you know what they're going to do with them? They're going to collect them all up. Either they're going to sell them under like, you know, 20000 for five bucks, or they're going to throw them in the trash. Because what we think is a treasure today will be in the landfill a generation from now. What Jesus is advising us to do is, hey, start considering the things that are going to outlast you. Start considering investments that are not going to rot away. You know, close be eaten up by moths. And back in the day when Jesus was speaking this parable or, or teaching this financial advice, people would, didn't have banks, so they would build these boxes like treasure chests, like pirates, and, and they would put all their gold and silver, anything they had of worth, into that box, and they'd dig a hole in their yard, and they would bury it. And Jesus is saying, some of those things rust out, don't they, when you get them back out of the ground? They came in one way, and you thought two years later you'd pull it out and they would be pristine, they're not pristine anymore, are they? And he says, or somebody's found where you had dug the hole and they dug it up overnight and they've stolen it. Jesus is saying, would you just start considering for a moment how you should best use my money? Because I put all that that's in your wallet. So it says Jesus is saying, don't be stupid with my money. There's a better investment. But Job chapter 27 says, because this is sometimes how we think about our, our value, our money. Though he heaps up silver like dust. I mean, that's a lot of silver. He's just heaping it up. And clothes like piles of clay. I've got clothes like piles of clay in my bedroom. My wife wishes I would put them away from time to time. He lies down wealthy. Like he goes to bed at night wealthy. But will do so no more. Why? Because when he opens his eyes, it's all gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. Here today, gone tomorrow. Like some of you have realized how, how we're like conduits for money. Like there's some days where we just, we feel like we've hit the jackpot. We've got so much. We don't know where to even put it some days. Well, maybe not know where to put it. We've got a lot of it, it seems like. And, and there's other days where we just go, we can't get enough of it because we need it so badly. And we know that money is, we're, we're prosperous in one moment and then we're, we're in poverty the next, it seems like. And it, it doesn't matter what you're, what your salary range is. We all seem to, to live above our means. And so some of you are like, if God were to give me $120,000 salary, that's all I need to really survive. That I mean, God, that's all I need. And God says, are you kidding me? You can't do it on 40. How much more in debt are you going to get with 120? That's true. I know he speaks that in my life. Matt, look, you're not handling your money right now. 
What makes you think that you're going to handle more of it better? Well, I just, I, I just would. It'd be more important to me. Well, that's the problem. It'd become more important. Make good investments. Investments that are going to last for all of eternity. Because there's some poor investments out there. And you're saying, well, then what is the investment? Well, look at verse 20 with me of chapter 6 of Matthew. It says, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. My question is, how do I store up financial things here, treasures in heaven? How do I do that? How do I equate my dollars that are really God's dollars into eternal investments? So here's the second part of Jesus' financial advice. Be aware of good investments. Beware of bad ones. Be aware of good ones. I think it's that simple. Be aware that there are... You know the two best investments are there's two things that will never fade away in this world. Never fade away. And I think that would be the most worthy investment. The thing that's not going to rust, the thing that's not going to get holes, and the thing can't be stolen. You know those two things are? God gives them to us. Number one, it's His Word. His Word. The things, the written things that we find in this Word. The standards of God in this Word. And people. You see, we're, we're spirit and we're soul. And that continues on. And if I can invest into you all, in some way, even using financial means, God's saying, that's a good investment. That's a good investment. First John chapter 2, verse 17 says, The world and its desires, will they pass away, but whoever does the will of God will live forever. Friends, we're, 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 we're made to live forever. Our bodies aren't, but our soul and spirit are. So I think investing in you all, I think investing in people that have a chance to learn about who God is, is a worthy investment. I think there's two great investments. The things of God and people. About five years ago, 175, 200 people or so in this congregation had recognized that God was doing something unique through us. And through a lot of prayer said, God, how do you want us to expand our ministry so that we can be more influential with the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community? And so he led us to some things. A part of that plan was this building, and that was going to be a costly part of it. And those 200 or so people decided, you know what? We will petition about $900,000 so that this building can at least have some funding to start on it. That's a pretty huge investment. A couple years ago, many of you were part of the Measure League War campaign. Measure League War campaign had to do with the additional spot of this because you've recognized that God was using that initial investment. You reap what you sow. And, and you recognize that God was making room at this table for even more. And we were running out of space, and we still are. And, and, and we got together, about 500 of us, and petitioned another 1.3 million. Some of you are tallying it up, and you're good math people. And you say, that's 2.2 million over the course of five years that people gave to a building. You got it all wrong. You got the numbers right. You got the motive wrong. They weren't giving it to a building. The building was just a side effect of something that they were really investing in, and that was people. They were making room at the table for more so that others could come to the table and feed on the Word of God like you are feeding on the Word of God right now. So that others can find fellowship in a place that was centrally located. Friends, we didn't know what God was going to do, and He's turning this into this regional church, not just the church of Davies County or Washington. We have people from Knox County that are coming, that are bringing their friends and inviting their friends here and, and loving the Lord here. We have people from Martin County and Davies County and Dubois County. Friends, we even have pagans from Pike County that are here serving the Lord. That's why I will be fired. I don't mean anything by it, Rick. You're about a foot taller than me and weigh about 60 pounds more than you could thump me. I love you and Pike County, Rick. I do. Verse 21, Jesus says, let's get godly for a second, shall we? 
I got no other place to go. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say it with me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus wants you to know. There's a good investment and there's a bad investment. What's the good investment? What's the good investment, Jesus? Invest into things that will last. What are those things, Jesus? Those are things that are going to be fixated on expanding the kingdom of God. So your financial giving that we take up an offering every Sunday, the majority of it lands right here in this place. Some of it goes overseas. It goes to local missions, regional missions, and national missions. And some, much of it goes to international missions on, when we, we consider the mission budget. And we're investing in the people. And we're investing in this community so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will spread. And I can't think of a greater investment. You know... Nor could those that gave those initial investments so that this place could grow and expand. More than 300 plus people in the last three years have given their life over to Jesus Christ through baptism. It's pretty awesome stuff, right? I mean, it's not like yay us. That's not what this is about. It's about yay God. It's about people seeing that their investment could be an eternal investment. And that's what we're speaking on here. Investing in the things of God and into people. And we need to start thinking about, okay, God, you give me some ideas on what is eternal rather than temporal, and I'll start putting my money there because I want my heart to follow the eternal, the eternal, not the temporal. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, think about things of heaven. That's where we just start thinking when it comes to our finances. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven. That's, that's a great investment in lives. Look at verse 22, because when Jesus packaged this parable or this teaching, he had this odd saying that came out of verse 22. And many don't know how to handle it, and I'm going to give it my best like go at it to try to interpret it for us and what I think it means, but here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. This is just a metaphor. It's just a, an illustration to get at a deeper point. Verse 23. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think this is Jesus' way of saying, as he talks about finances, either you'll be generous and enlightened, or you'll be stingy and be in the dark. I think that's what he's saying. That we are, when we're generous and we're open-handed and we learn that it is better to give than to receive, like Jesus pointed out, that we have an enlightenment that goes with us. That maybe the money he's put into our pocket and he's given to us to be stewards over, we can use for something better than for ourselves. That maybe our self-worth isn't tied to our money. But our self-worth is found in Jesus Christ. And to serve, Jesus says in verse 24, look at verse 24 with me. No one, he says, no one can serve two masters. This is how he closes up. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve, let's just say this one together. You cannot serve both God and money. Many of us could have just spouted that out from memorization, because we know that money is a wonderful servant, but it is a lousy master. It's a wonderful servant to us, but it's a lousy, it's a lousy master to us. And I think the idea of God saying there's like a path here and then comes to a wide the road and you're going to have to figure out what you want to do. Are you going to serve money or are you going to serve God? Because you can't travel down both at the same time. Some of you have tried this, but what it does is it splits you and it's impossible. God says, I want you to run an experience.
powerful sermon. Seriously, it's, the elders won't get up here and say I'm fired. It's not that kind of thing. It's a powerful sermon about how God sees our money and how we should see it. But what I want you to do before that is a little homework. I want you to go back over the next 30 or 45 days in your bank account. And I want you to remove all the bills there. And I just want you to see where your money goes. You just, would you just write it down like, here's the number one place my money goes. And I bet you'll find that where your treasure is, your heart is also. And then maybe you need to do some praying and say, God, is this the right place where my money should go? You need to ask me you don't consider yourself successful because you have a lot of money. You think you're successful. But you know what it really comes down to? Who are you in Christ? That's where our identity is found. We need to remove all this stuff. And we need to start saying, who am I in Christ? Who am I in Christ? You ever watch Antique Roadshow? Every now and then I'll catch that program on PBS. That a while back there was a guy that came in with this old dirty blanket. He had it over his shoulder. And he just didn't consider it to have much value at all. He had said that he kept it on the rocking chair in his bedroom, just kind of slung over the chair because it matched the decor of his room. He knew it was old, um, but he just didn't know the value, so he took it in there. And you could see all the appraisers on Antique Roadshow just drooling as he walked in. And, and they discovered that it was a, a Navajo chief's blanket made probably around 1840. And, and, and as far as they all knew, the appraisers... There wasn't a complete blanket to be found yet. He had the only complete blanket. So they said, you know what? This thing is nearly, can't be priced, but uh, we'll put a price on it because you, know, you can always put a price on something. And they said, you know, we'll give it half, half a million dollars. We'll call it half a million. Well, that guy was ecstatic, right? He thought he walked in with junk. He's leaving with riches. So you know how he walked out? They folded it nice and meticulous so that the creases wouldn't make it ruined. And they put it in this nice static-free bag, and, and dust-free bag, and they sealed it. And he walked out with security guards. I went to go find out further this story because this made national news. The next day, he got himself a lockbox at the bank and put it in there, never to see it again. Insured the blanket because what he thought was once junk was now treasure. Maybe that's... What you need to be reminded of today, you are not junk, you are God's treasure. Look how 1 Peter puts it to us about what Jesus claims you are. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold and silver. God says that's just rubbish. The things that you think are so worthy of pursuit are just rubbish to him. So I'm not going to buy you with that. I'm not going to redeem you with the things that I consider rubbish. Uh, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with precious blood of Christ. He's going to redeem you with something that's eternal. With Christ, His only Son's blood, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And you're saying, what am I worth? God says, you are worth every ounce of my Son's blood. My only Son's blood. That's what you're worth. You are more pricely than gold and riches. You, you, you can't be bought with gold riches. There's not enough money in this world that can buy you up. The only thing that can buy you up and give you a redeeming value is my son. I had to exchange his life for your life. That's how important you are to Christ. That's how you important, important you are to God. You are not junk. You're his treasure. You're not trash. You're his treasure. You are riches to him. Friends, God is not asking more from you. He wants more for you. And that's what we have to start discovering as we talk about being generous. That God was first generous to us. So generous that he gave us his only son. So that we can have life and life eternal. And some of you today, you've walked in there, in here today, like a Navajo blanket. You don't consider yourself much. But you are a costly child.
treasure to the Lord. And some of you need to respond to Christ. You need to be a part of that 300 plus that comes and says, Lord, I want you as Savior of my life, and I want to claim you Lord of my life. You need to be baptized in Christ, dead to yourself, and arise in something.